are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. I will be reading the scripture reading this week. First one is from Matthew 1, verse 18 through 25. The birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus Christ because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We will be flipping to 2 Corinthians 16, verse 18. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, Jacob, thanks for sending that down from St. Cloud State. Great to have you reading scripture for us. And also just want to say a big congratulations to Jacob, who was just recently named the station manager for the university TV station. So we're super proud of you, Jacob, and wish you all the best in that new role. Um, Speaking of school, as we reflected on that table question, I've got a funny story to share with you from last week. Last Sunday, at the end of the service, I said that we would come back this week, this Sunday in Advent, and our next theme in the series would be about division. While my young friend Brecken was watching worship there at home to an online church, and with a wry look at his dad and mom, he said, wait, we're going to learn about math at church? And I thought that was pretty good. You definitely wouldn't want me being your math teacher, Brecken. But that is a great sense of humor. So here we are this third Sunday in Advent. And yes, we're going to talk about division, but it is the kind that happens between people. In these days leading up to Christmas, we've been looking at these four dominant themes of this year, things that we have all been experiencing and wrestling with, and connecting them to the Christmas story in Scripture. So two weeks ago, we started with the theme of waiting. Last Sunday, we talked about fear. And today, it's division. When I think about 2020, it has been a long year of division. I saw a meme on social media this week that said, today marks five years that we've been in 2020. I thought that was pretty good. Division has persisted and plagued us all the way through this year. Right off the bat, it almost felt like The deck was stacked already because in 2020, we were coming into an election year. Then we hit the pandemic and the first shutdown in the spring. 
And then right in the midst of that was the death of George Floyd. Then the riots that enveloped Minneapolis and and many other urban city centers across the country. We are a divided people in so many ways. And it just continues to dog us all the way to the end of the year. People are divided about face masks and shutdowns and vaccines. People are divided about what to do with school or sports or what media outlets are true or false. There's political division, socioeconomic division, and something particularly incompatible with the New Testament. There is racial division. The term long division, I was thinking this week, is not just a lesson in school, but we have seen it all this year. And in my preparations this week, I felt like it would be good to say something that I believe is important for us to really be ready to hear and receive this message as we study scripture. And that is, we're coming off a couple weeks here, the first two Sundays in Advent, where we could easily and instantly relate to waiting and fear at a very personal level. And over the past two weeks, I've heard from quite a few people who would check in and say, yes, that's where my heart is at. And that is exactly what I needed to hear. As we shift today to the topic of division, I think that this is one where if we're not careful, it could be more external. It could be more out there. It won't strike at the heart as much if we don't allow it to. Because yes, we see division, we see it all around us, but it tends to be everybody else's problem. You know, division is what is wrong with the world. Division is what is wrong in this country, we might say. But few of us are likely to say division is what is wrong in me. And I just want to invite you to call out that bluff and to let down those kind of subconscious defenses and to hear and receive God's word for what it is today. To join with Isaiah in saying something like, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. To say like the centurion did, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. To say like the Apostle Paul said, I am actually chief among sinners. The question that I want you to wrestle with, with me personally, is this one this morning. How do we solve division? You know, in math, we're used to solving for X or Y or solving for area or volume. This morning, we're asking the Lord how to solve for division. And this is where the path of the Christian diverges from every other answer that is out there. And I want to show you that this morning. Let's go to the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1 for our starting point. This account in Matthew is also, in a sense, a story of division. I mean, you think about it, it says, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. So something has gone wrong here, from Joseph's perspective, at least. Mary has been unfaithful, and a wedge of division has come between these two. In fact, since Joseph is careful to follow the Old Testament law, it required him to end their engagement. And unlike our culture, engagement for them was legally binding, which is why it uses the term divorce. It says he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
He could have done it publicly, but he was going to do it quietly. But that's when God intervenes and communicates to Joseph in a dream at night. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, there are two names that are important in this story. And there you just heard the first of them, that his name will be Jesus. And I want you to listen for the second one, starting in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus and Emmanuel. The meaning of these names is going to point us to some answers about division. The name Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. And Emmanuel means God with us. And these two names tell us why Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. These names tell us his mission. That there is a solution for the problem that began in the earliest pages of Scripture. We're going to take just a brief foray this morning into the Old Testament and discover where division started. And so we're going to go back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and they enjoy perfect fellowship with God, this unhindered relationship with God, the one who made them and gave them the garden to tend. But then Satan, a fallen angel, takes the form of a serpent and says one day to Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And what's happening here? He's dropping a wedge of division in Eve's relationship with God. And she takes the bait. And so does Adam. And all of a sudden, life in the garden, where they were always with God, has taken a totally different turn. We find them hiding. And God comes looking. And their disobedience has brought this rift into their relationship that is as wide as the Grand Canyon. The Bible calls it sin. In this case, the one thing that God said not to do, the one thing they did. And ever since then, there has been this chasm that separates sinful fallen people from a holy, awesome God. But it wasn't just that vertical relationship that was impacted by this. It was also their relationship with each other. You know, you think about that story and who was it that Adam blamed. He said it was Eve. And then when it, the questions turned to Eve, she said, well, it wasn't my fault. It was the snake. And we see division then enter their family tree. Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's two sons. Cain can't stand that Abel's sacrifice was more pleasing to God. So what does he do? He kills his brother. The first murder in human history is in the second generation of the human family. And God says to him, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then listen carefully to the end of that story. It says, So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. By the way, that's where John Steinbeck got the name for his novel, East of Eden. But did you catch the description before that? It said, So Cain went out from the Lord's presence. 
The story starts in the garden where God is with his people. And the rest of the Old Testament is about how God will deal with the division of our sin when we walked out from his presence and how he will restore our relationship with him. The Messiah is called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And he is called Emmanuel because in him, God is with us. So you see the story connecting from the earliest chapters of scripture now to Jesus. And this is why I said that the Christian path diverges from every other way of solving the problem of division. Because the Bible tells us that the first place of division that needs to be healed is our relationship with God. That before we can even begin to talk about the problem on a human level, we have to be reconciled to God. I wonder if you know what this is. This was given to me by my grandfather. He was a piano tuner. And this is what we call a tuning fork. A tuning fork is this single piece of steel that's forged in this way, where it has these two prongs. And when struck, you're not going to be able to hear it there, but I can hear it in my ear. It gives off this acoustic tone with perfect pitch. And the longer the tines are, or the shorter, will vary that note. And so this one has been forged in just such a way that the sound waves are 523.3 hertz, or maybe more familiar, it is the note of C. So that was given to me by my grandfather, and it reminded me this week of words by A.W. Tozer. He wrote this little book called The Pursuit of God that I discovered in college. It's one of the most influential books that I've read. I want to share these lines with you. Tozer said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which one must individually bow. The trouble that we experience in our culture is so often we're trying to solve the problem of division without first being tuned to our relationship with God. So we hustle around just on a human level, trying to grapple with this problem, essentially rearranging the furniture on the Titanic and wondering why year after year, people can't be nicer to each other. But we cannot solve for division if God is not in the equation. We have to start in the Garden of Eden with our need for a savior, and with the story of Christmas. This is why Jesus came, to save us from our sins and to be God with us. You think about the narrative of Matthew's gospel. It starts with Emmanuel in Matthew chapter 1, God with us, and it finishes with Jesus, Emmanuel, saying in chapter 28, And lo, I am with you always. I am with you. The same phrase to the very end of the age. This story stretches from the beginning to the end, fulfilled in Jesus, so that one day we will hear from his throne in Revelation 21, these words, God's dwelling place is now among the people, like it was in the garden, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people And God himself, here it is, will be with them and be their God.
What I hope is abundantly clear this morning is the necessity for each and every one of us to be reconciled to God. It starts with me, with what I couldn't do for myself. So God came looking for me in his son and gave himself up for me on the cross. Once that relationship is restored, then and only then am I in the position to do something about the division between people. Paul said in our second reading today, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself, that comes first, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Then that follows. So in other words, now that things are set right in my own life through what Jesus has done, he sends me off to set things right in the world. I get to join him on mission. And doing life with Jesus completely changes the lens for how we view the world around us. So Paul says earlier in that same passage, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I did a double take reading that. I thought, wait, wait, who did he say? He said no one. Like, that's pretty all-encompassing. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, according to the flesh. And the opposite of according to the flesh would be to live by the Spirit. The implication is that we would view everyone according to the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not to say that we just have to go around and agree with everyone, but there is a difference between disagree and disparage. There's a difference between disagree and disrespect. Earlier this year, I was doing some reading on the life of Abraham Lincoln in a book called Leadership in Turbulent Times. As I was reading about Lincoln, I started to underline some of the descriptions that were used of his character, who he was, how he responded. One of them said, he refused to disparage his rivals. And I underlined that in the book. And then I came to this other part where it said, he never allowed his ambition to consume his kind-heartedness. And I underlined that. It was so good. And then I love this little story just to illustrate it a bit. There was one evening where Secretary of War Edwin Stanton had worked himself into a fury about one of his generals. And he said to Lincoln, I would like to tell him what I think of him. To which Lincoln calmly said, why don't you? Write it down. So off Stanton went, and over the next couple of days, he drafted this scathing letter to this general, and then he brought it back to Lincoln to review it with him. When Stanton finished reading it to Lincoln, Lincoln said, wonderful. Now what are you going to do about it? To which Stanton said, why, send it, of course. And Lincoln said, eh, I wouldn't. Why don't you just throw it in the wastebasket? Stan couldn't believe that kind of suggestion. He said, but it took me two days to write it. And Lincoln said to him, yes, yes, and it did you ever so much good, he said. You feel better now. That's all that's necessary. Just throw it in the basket. And after some more grumbling, that's exactly what Stanton did. After Lincoln died, historians discovered in his personal papers reams and reams of letters that he had written, where Lincoln put at the bottom, never sent, 
and never signed. And I thought to myself in reading that part of the book, it is no surprise that this is coming from someone who as a young man earlier in the book was described as treasuring the scriptures. He knew, Lincoln knew, that Jesus had said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, you should turn to him the other also. Lincoln knew that Paul had said in 2 Corinthians 5, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. How have you and I regarded others this year? I find it's easy to be critical. It's not so easy to turn the other cheek. I find it's easy to respond just according to the flesh. It is not so easy to be gracious or forbearing. But at the same time, it's such an easier yoke when the Holy Spirit is your teacher, conforming us to be more like Christ. The world has to see this different way. And that's where God desires to use you and I in this ministry of reconciliation. How do you respond to someone that you don't like? I mean, whether it's your next door neighbor or it's some politician on the news. How do you comment or post on social media? What do you do with an unflattering bit of gossip that you would normally relish and enjoy to pass along? What reactions are your kids seeing in you these days? What language are you modeling for them as you respond to others? And I only ask you these questions because I've been asking myself these questions all week. And I feel like in particular this year, I have heard my brother's blood crying out from the ground. The answer to the problem of division should be found in the church. Jesus said, by this, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And here to close on a positive note in a message about division, I want to tell you a story about something that we got to be part of this year. When 2020 started, we were just about to celebrate then in February our 10th birthday as a church community. And to celebrate that milestone, many of you remember, we decided to build a church and a YMCA somewhere in Asia. Now, because the persecution level in this part of the world has recently, throughout this year, really been rising and rising, I cannot here name the country or anything specific about it because our worship service is online and uh, we have very specific instructions to not put things out on social media. It would put people there at risk. But many of you will be familiar with what I'm talking about and the project that we began at the start of the year to build a church and a YMCA somewhere in Asia. And then the pandemic came along and certainly got in the way. Construction was halted for a time. Their country like ours was in lockdown. The initial deadline then we knew was definitely not going to happen. Our delegation that we were going to send over was not able to travel, and the communication has been sporadic at best with this rural part of this country. 
the last update that I had was late in the summer, and they said that the building would hopefully be completed in the third week of September. And that was the last thing that I heard. And there was not even really a status update on what was going on with the well that we had also commissioned to dig. So this week, an email arrives in my inbox, and it was none other than the full report. Here, I'm wondering, you know, if it's come along a little bit or what the status is. It's the full report with almost 50 beautiful pictures of the dedication of the church, the YMCA, and yes, even the well, gushing out water as people filled their containers. It was amazing to see. It was just finished and dedicated on the first Sunday of Advent, November 29th. And the first picture that popped up as I started to scroll through them was this community of believers, men, women, and children, gathered in their church for the first time, face masks on, but with their hands outstretched, laying their hands on the walls of the building and praying over it and dedicating it, this space that we got to build. I spent an hour just going over these pictures again and again. I think it is one of the most significant spiritual moments that we have ever been a part of as a church. They wrote in their report to us, there's also a written report, and we're going to get this distributed to you in the ways that we can. The report said this, Praise the Lord. We are delighted for the double-fold blessing of a church and a well for our village. We didn't even pray for a well, they wrote, but God provided that too. We are thankful to the Y Church in Elk River, USA, and we will pray for them regularly. Praise the Lord. None of the people in that congregation grew up knowing about Jesus. But God reconciled them to himself. And now we're being reconciled one to another. It just dawned on me, we did not just build a building, but we in fact gained brothers and sisters. These are the stories that we want to be part of. This is the way that divisions will cease and the kingdom of God will come. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.